0: that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God." And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for your word. God, we ask now that you would take your word and burn it in our hearts, burn it in our minds. We ask that you take your word and create faith. Take your word and create obedience. Take your word and create joy. Take your word and create peace. God, we ask now, grant us understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. My knuckles must have been just pure white. We were on a road that was recommended not to travel on by other bus drivers. On our way to skiing in Montana. And the bus drivers before had told me, you want to get to this road before it gets dark. And then travel this road in the light until you get to your lodge off the interstate. Well, we were traveling, had about probably around 20 or so young people with us in in the bus. They were all asleep probably after 10 o'clock, and uh, therefore we weren't making our in daylight time as planned. But if you're traveling with more than one under the age 18, you know how you don't go as planned. Anyhow, we're traveling along this road, and bad enough, there's semis on this road. And not only semis, but it's snowing thing. Later do I come to find out this is deemed the most dangerous road in America. Think. I'm thinking to myself, not at the moment I didn't know that, but even at the moment I'm thinking, oh, this would not be fun delivering this news to parents. Think. What are you doing on this road? Driving along thinking, please, where are you? Buck's Lodge. Think. Searching for Buck's Lodge. And then, and then, there's a sign. Buck's Lodge. So what do we do? Stop. Get out and hug the sign. Thank you, (laughs) sign. But not only that, but you know what? Everybody, get out of the bus. Let's gather around the sign. Let's sleep at the sign. Thank you, sign. And that and only that, but you know what? After that I thought, wow, this sign is really important. I'm going to start an endowment for this sign and give a yearly offering because we need this sign to be gold no, no, no Think. What did we do? We went to the lodge. Right? We went to Bucks. Who would be crazy enough to stop at the sign? It's a sign. In other words, it's a secondary thing. It's a sideshow. What's the point of the sign? To get us to the lodge. But how often do we stop at the sign? How often do we stop at the sideshow and miss The main show. When we stop at the side show, we get excited about secondary things. And especially this time of year, there's a lot of secondary things. Secondary things that aren't necessarily bad. Presence. They're not bad, but we can get stuck on presence and miss the main thing. Gatherings with families. They're not bad, hopefully not bad thing, (laughs) but gatherings with families can all of a sudden what? Take all of your energy. And focus. And you miss what? The main thing. Every once in a while at home I have to hear the following. That's what you took from that? And interpret it means you're missing the point. Or 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 you're you're not involved at all. It's because it's because you're not understanding the main thing, that which should be obvious. For you and I today, the most dangerous thing that can happen is that we would get stuck on a secondary thing and miss the main point. It'd be easy to get stuck on a secondary thing. Mary, right? I mean, think of Mary, this young girl. She's pregnant and she's a virgin. Did you hear me? She's pregnant and she's a virgin. That, At least the last time I checked. that doesn't happen very often. I don't know if it has happened. Think. So it'd be easy, right, to get focused in on Mary. Who's Mary? Mary's a sign. We heard about it from the prophet Isaiah this morning. A virgin will give birth. The point of Mary is to point to someone, something greater, the coming Messiah. Who are the shepherds? What's the point of the shepherds? Are we supposed to be like shepherds and go and worship the Lord? The point of the story is not that we would become shepherds or be like shepherds. The point of the story is that even the lowly folk, even those in the bottom of the pole, go and gather around this king because this king is for them. What about the magi? These three kings, how many ever kings there were that bring frankincense and gold and myrrh? So are we supposed to be like the magi, bring our greatest gifts and offer them to the king? The point's not the magi. The point of the magi is that kings, from, from nations that are not Israel, are coming and gathering around the throne of this king. Because this king will gather all nations around his throne. The point of everybody in the story is not them. It's actually the king. All of them are just signs that point to someone and something greater. The king of kings. Emmanuel. God with us. The whole point of Christmas is summarized here in John chapter 1 this morning. And we might say to ourselves, well, John chapter 1, that's not the Christmas story. There's no manger, there's no shepherds, there's no innkeeper, there's no angels, and there's no stars. Yet John chapter 1 gets to the essence of Christmas, and it lays out exactly what Christmas is. John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Today we celebrate God with us. We celebrate the presence of the sovereign king entering into human history. For this morning's message, we're going to do something a little bit different. If you're a young boy or young girl here today, I have an assignment for you as we listen to the message. Anytime today that you hear me say, God with us, just give your mom or dad's hand a little bit of a squeeze. Anytime you hear me say, God with us, let's try that. God with us. With us Now, if you consider yourself not a child this morning, so you can put yourself in either camp, if you consider yourself not a child this morning, whenever you hear me say presence, as in the presence of the eternal God, we want you to squeeze the hand of your neighbor or your spouse. If it's not your spouse, you might want to ask for permission ahead of time. (laughs) If you're engaged this morning, don't think about holding hands. Just say, hmm. Thanks. Thanks. So, God with us. Today we celebrate the presence of the eternal King stepping down into humanity. Today we celebrate that the eternal one, Jesus Christ, came to reveal God to humanity. Today we sing, or Tuesday we will sing, Joy to the World. The shepherds are here. No. We sing joy to the world. The Lord has come. Today we celebrate the fulfillment of the prophecy from Isaiah that behold a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son and we shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. This week we give thanks that God has come into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. The whole point of Christmas is not that Jesus is the word, but the point of Christmas is that the word is Became flesh. Jesus is the word. If you look with me in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, we get this description where the author is using this term word to to describe Jesus. But notice what it says about the word. It calls the word a person. He was in the beginning, verse 2. So what it says about the word in verses 1 through 5 is that the word has existed for all of eternity. The word participated in creation. The Word participates in everything that happens. So in other words, the Word has always existed. At Christmas, we do not celebrate that all of a sudden there's a birth of this new God portion of the Trinity. At Christmas, we celebrate that Jesus, the Word, who has existed for eternity, enters into time and space and creation. At Christmas, we celebrate God with us. Eternal word coming and taking on the flesh. Now, if you look down to me at verse 14, it gets to the the key point, and it says this word, now remember what the word is, the word is this eternal king that's existed forever. This word now dwells among us. Maybe you have a King James version this morning or an older version, and it might use the word tabernacled among us. If you remember back to your old Sunday school days, and remember Moses on the mountain? Moses stands before the mountain and says, God, show yourself to me. And what does God say? No, you'll die thing. And so then what happens? So then what happens? They set, to, they set up the whole temple system in the tent. And where does God tabernacle? In the tent. Whenever the tent is set up, set up it's called the glory of the Lord, dwells in that place. And nobody could enter into the presence of the Almighty God because it's so magnificent. And so now in John chapter 1, he uses the exact same word to describe for us what's happening with Jesus. Jesus is tabernacling. In other words, the presence of the living God is coming into humanity, into a specific time and into a specific place. God with us. That's exactly what happens at Christmas. The Word becomes flesh. It actually takes on human nature. And this just is out of our minds, right? But the interesting thing is in John chapter 1, the author spends no time defending it. There's no explanation of, hey, you should believe the incarnation because it makes sense A, B, C, D, and E. It doesn't make sense. I mean, let's just admit this. This is absurd. A virgin giving birth... Not to just a baby. God, who's existed for eternity, coming into the virgin. It's a miracle thing. And John does not defend it. He just gives testimony to it. He just says, this is what happened. What's happened? God has become killable. That's what's happened at Christmas. God has become killable. Literally. God entered into Humanity. He allowed himself to be frail. It tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that, that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather he took the form of a servant becoming nothing. God becomes one of us in the form of a baby and then becomes a man who lives a perfect life. The essence of Christmas is God with us that we have the presence of the living King, the sovereign creator that enters into creation. At Christmas, we celebrate the end of religion forever. At Christmas, we celebrate the end of religion forever. And the reason that is is because Jesus is the end of religion. Because religion is what? Do this to get this. Religion is... Come here, go through these motions so that you get this from God or you ultimately get the prize of what? Heaven. Religion is always do, 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 so you get, get, get. Jesus ends religion forever because no longer do we do to get, no longer do we do to ascend to God, but what happens? God descends to us. We no longer seek to achieve the status of deity because deity comes down and participates in humanity. It's all about God with us, the presence of the living creator in our midst. What are the implications then of this incarnation? That's what we use in church language, right? What are the implications of the incarnation? God taking on flesh. And in simple terms, we can ask ourselves this morning, what are the consequences of Christmas? What's the consequence of God with us? The first consequence this morning is this. We have an approachable king. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 2, it describes the new high priest that we have in the person of Jesus Christ. And as it describes the new high priest, it ends in chapter 2 of describing for us, telling us that we now have a king, a high priest who we can approach, who's been tempted in every way that we've been tempted. This morning, if you're undergoing pain, if you're undergoing suffering and persecution, you have a God who's been persecuted, you have a God who has suffered. If you have been betrayed, you have a God who has been betrayed. If you're experiencing temptation, you have a God who has experienced temptation and conquered. We have a king who can be approached. God is not far off, but rather God is approachable. How much more approachable do you get than a baby? Even the worst of the worst, usually get a smile when there's a baby until the dirty diaper comes. (laughs) We have a king who's approachable because we have a king who's gone through everything that you and I have gone through. That's almost amazing, if not more amazing, than this God coming through a virgin to earth. Think of that for a second. The creator of the universe who's existed forever has had pain, just like you have pain. The king, who's existed forever, has experienced loneliness, just like you've experienced loneliness. We have a king who can be approached. And the consequence of Christmas is this, that you and I should approach this king, that you and I should be with God because God came and was with us. Approach your king, the first consequence of Christmas. The second consequence of Christmas is that it puts us in our proper place. Does this happen to you at home often, men? You get put in your place, reminded who you are, or at work you get reminded of you're not the boss. Maybe you've never thought of Christmas this way. Actually, at Christmas, we get put in our place. We get told you're not your own Savior. Because at Christmas, when God comes and God is with us, when the presence of the living God comes and lives in humanity, what happens is the ideal is fully realized in the person of Jesus Christ. What I mean by that is this, that Jesus Christ is the prototype for the perfect human being. Jesus Christ is the prototype of what God created us to be. God created us to love the Lord with our whole heart, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And there's only one human who's ever done that, Jesus himself. So in Jesus the ideal human is realized and anytime you're in the presence of greatness what happens you recognize your own shortcomings i've used this illustration before but when i stand next to john boltzmann who's i don't know how tall 6 6 i don't know thing thing i don't stand next to john and go man i'm big thing <laughs> oh. whoo thing get a load of this thing you stand next to john and go oh, thanks mom Because whenever you're in the presence of greatness, you recognize your own shortcomings. Think of an athletic situation or a music situation. We had the opportunity to go to the symphony about a week ago or so downtown. As I'm watching the symphony, I'm not watching it going, Wow, man, I I have got such a great voice. (laughs) No, you're enamored with greatness. Because when you're in the presence of greatness, you're focused on that greatness. And at Christmas, when Jesus Christ comes, when God is with us, when the presence of the living creator comes and enters into humanity, we're put in our place because we can only say, he is king and I am not. Look with me at John chapter 1. We see an example of this from John, verses 6 through 8. It says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. When John entered into the presence of the coming Messiah, John always pointed people to Jesus. Now, John was popular. John was a preacher that was getting a crowd. It would have been easier for John to say, Hey, come on, keep coming. Let's go. Let's build up this following. But what does John do? John says, No, not me, but him. It's because John knows that in Jesus Christ... The ideal is realized. And John goes on to say in the rest of John chapter 1 that John couldn't even bow down and untie the sandals of Jesus because that's how great Jesus was. John recognized he was put in his place as a sinner, as a created being. This morning, we need to get put in our place. We need to get reminded we are not God. In Luke chapter 2 that we'll look at on Tuesday night, we hear the news that everyone's heard before. Today I bring you good news of great joy. Tonight in the town of Bethlehem, what? A Savior has been born. It's not like, hey, tonight I just want you to head on over into Bethlehem where you can show that you're going to be able to save yourself. What happens at Christmas, we get put in our place because we recognize that we cannot save ourselves. The good news of Christmas is, Is the coming Savior. Therefore, we are not our own Savior. We need to get put in our place that we are a created being in need of a Savior. The consequences of Christmas, the consequences of God with us, the consequences of the Creator of the universe entering in and being present in humanity is that we have a King who is approachable. We are put in our place as created sinners. Third consequence of Christmas that maybe you've never thought about before is this. Just as we have the presence of the living God in Jesus Christ, the incarnation, now you and I are sent out to be the presence of the living God here on earth. We call this in in church world, we call this incarnational ministry. That just as Jesus experienced the incarnation, he he did not look at people's situations from far off, but rather he went and took on their circumstance. He put on flesh to become one of us. What we do as Christians, we go and we enter into the mess of other people's lives. And throughout the New Testament, we see the following description. We see the church called the body of Christ. It's because we are the hands and feet of Jesus here on earth. It sounds Simple and kind of childish to say, but it's a magnificent truth that today we are the presence of the living God here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. It says in the book of 1 Corinthians that you are the temple of the living God. It says that to us as individuals, and then it says that to us corporately. We are the presence of the living God here on earth. And now we're called, as a result of Christmas, to go out and be that presence in the lives of others here in Sioux Falls and around the world. Right now in, in the media, the Pope is getting a lot of play. And the Pope is, is becoming this, this very popular person. And it's good and, and whatever about the Pope and stuff like that. But what the Pope is doing is actually what every ordinary Christian should be doing. What the Pope is doing, the Pope's not going above and beyond. The Pope isn't coming up with this new concept The Pope isn't trying to lay out this ideal example and trying to make the church more popular. The Pope is simply doing what every ordinary follower of Jesus Christ should do. Enter into the midst of the hurting and come alongside and be the presence of the living God. Today we are called to be the presence of the living God in the hurting life. You look at the story of Jesus. It starts in the manger. It does not start in a castle. And then you look at the life of Jesus. He spends time with the widows. He spends time with the prostitutes. He spends time with the outcasts, those with leprosy. Where does the presence of God go? Where does God with us go? He goes to those who are hurting. He goes to the marginalized. And now he says to his followers, be my presence here on earth. I think I've mentioned this before, but years ago on a mission trip to Mexico... And while on this mission trip to Mexico, we were doing a variety of things, but one of the things we did is went to a local nursing home in Mexico. Went to this nursing home in Mexico. The place was, as a total size, couldn't be much bigger than the chapel and maybe the kitchen added in. And filled up with people. The moment walked into this nursing home, think the smell. You didn't need to see or hear anything else. The smell alone said, get out. But then, as you went a little bit further, you forgot about the smell because of what you saw. Multiple people, eight, ten, I don't know how many, in a little room sitting on their beds. Hopeless as hopeless can be. Bed and not much room before the next bed. The next bed's right there. There's no little nightstand with little pictures of grandchildren. There's no flat screen on the wall. I knew right then, I'm going outside and doing the outside project. Went outside, started working the project. One of the girls that was with us comes outside, and, and I would consider this young girl that came out one of the most mature young girls that I'd ever had in, in youth ministry. She comes out, and she says, I'm not going back in there. She couldn't handle it. She couldn't handle it, and I, I said, explain a little bit. She said, I can't get a pick through her hair. The girls had come and were going to comb the grandmother's hairs and maybe paint nails and just spend some time comforting. She couldn't get a pick through her hair. That's where the presence of God should be. That's where the people of God should be gathering. And we say to ourselves, that's Mexico. They've got problems. It's happening here in Sioux Falls. It may not be that we can't get a pick through the hair. But there's loneliness. There's loneliness in the exact same magnitude right here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. In the last two weeks, I've been in the two worst-case scenarios I've had to be in, in ministry. First was delivering news to parents of a suicide. Secondly, delivering news to family of a suicide from someone in jail. Hopeless situations. Absolutely dire things. They were dire before the news was delivered. It's right here in Sioux Falls. People who are marginalized. People who are hurting. Yes, people who believe differently than we do. Yes, people who are living lifestyles that are against the will of God. But yet, people who need the presence of God in their lives. What if it was said of us that we were a church of presence, that we were the presence of the living God in people's lives who are hurting. The presence is not popular. And let me tell us right now, warn us, being the presence of the living God is not profitable. You don't make money. You don't make money, you don't gain popularity. But what you do get is eternal joy. What you do get is contentment because you're doing the very thing you were created to do. What if our children saw us being the presence of the living God in people's lives here in Sioux Falls? The consequence of Christmas is that you and I would move beyond gift giving to one another and would enter into gift giving with those who are the least in our society. And today and this next week, it's easy to say, hey, let's go down to the banquet. Let's, let's go here because during the holidays, everybody does it. Every politician, right, goes down and, and gives a helping hand. It's just in the Argus yesterday of, of a politician giving a donation. Everybody does it this time of year. Thing, It's a popular thing to do. Jesus is not calling us for presents once a time of year. He's calling us to be the presence of the living God on Tuesday night in the middle of January. He's calling us to be the presence of the living God in the hot humidity in the middle of August. He's asking for persistent presence that you and I today would go and sit on the bed of a dying elderly person who has no family. Because that's the consequence of Christmas. Because God entered into our midst, now we're sent out to enter in the midst of others and bring the presence of the living God. The consequence of Christmas is that we have a king who can be approached. The consequence of Christmas is that we are put in our place as people who need a savior. The consequence of Christmas is that we are to now go out and be the presence of the living God right here in Sioux Falls and around the world. The ultimate consequence of Christmas is that you and I now become children of God. In other words, because Jesus was born of man, now you and I can be born of God. The ultimate consequence of Christmas is that our identity is changed. Look with me here in John chapter 1, verses 12 to 13. But to all who received him, the word Jesus, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, what this is, what this is saying very simply is those who received Jesus, and we received Jesus by putting our faith, our trust in Christ, are born again because the consequence of Christmas is that God came to us, which now enables us to go to God. Because of that momentary presence, it was only about 33 years because of that momentary presence of the eternal King, because of that momentary time when God was with us, now you and I can have an everlasting time, an everlasting enjoyment in the presence of God forever. The ultimate consequence of Christmas is that now you and I can be born again, new creatures, proclaimed to be children of God. And do you know what children of God do? Children of God approach their Heavenly Father, an approachable King. Children of God are put in their place because they know that it's not about us, but it's about the coming king. Children of God, what do they do? They go out and they're the hands and the feet of their heavenly father. The consequence of Christmas is that today we have an opportunity to be the children of God. And as a result of that, we will go out and approach our king. We will be put in the proper place and we will be the presence of the living God Right here in Sioux Falls. Without the presence of the eternal king, any presents you get this next week are simply a momentary high. There's nothing wrong with presents. This next week, as you open each present and each gift, I'd encourage you that each present is what? A sign. Just as we didn't stop the bus and hug the sign and sleep by the sign. This is not a week to grab your present and hug it and look for your joy from it. But this is a week to allow that present to remind you of the ultimate gift, God himself. This week, when you receive your momentary present, let it be a sign of the actual presence of the living God. And let it be a reminder that Christmas is about God with us. Because of the eternal presence of God here on earth in a momentary time, now you and I get to go forth and be with God. In simple terms, we can be with God because God was with us. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come before you now giving thanks first and foremost. Above all, thanking you, God, for this season, for the reminder of your incarnation. God, thank you for coming and living among us. And Lord, now we come before you. We ask that you would give us boldness to enter into your presence. We ask, O Lord, that you would put us in our place and make us aware of our sin. And also, O Lord, empower us to be spotlights that shine on you and that point people to you. We pray this morning, O Lord, that you now would... Empower us with your spirit to be your presence here in Sioux Falls and around the world. God, we acknowledge that many times we have neglected to be your representative. We acknowledge that many times we have not brought you to others. God, we ask that you would regenerate our hearts and change that within us. God, thank you for claiming us to be your children. Thank you for giving us new birth through faith. We praise you for who you are, God. We offer ourselves to you. Thank you for coming. In Jesus' name, amen.